the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Danny Cannell. That's Bud Elliott. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at youtube.com slash cover three. Uh, go ahead and hop on in the chat. Smash that subscribe. Smash that like so that you can participate. We got a lot to get to today, including some listener questions from the big old bag of mail. Once again, the best way for you to get a question in the mailbag is to go and leave us a five-star review. And then in that review, put your mailbag question We'll add it to the big old bag of mail. So June is a huge time on the recruiting trail. And I think that we've got uh, a lot of headlines, a lot of things that have been bubbling up as we've been going through our drafts from the past week. Reminder, quarterback draft was on Monday. The pass catchers draft was on Wednesday. Top wide receivers and tight ends, top quarterbacks at the beginning of the week. Go back and check out those shows if you have not already. But... A lot of visits going on each weekend. We've got some commitments happening. And so I uh, want to start with something that's going to be happening on CBS Sports HQ tonight. That is the commitment of a blue chip quarterback from the 2024 cycle. His name is CJ Carr. And Carr is spelled C-A-R-R. The man, the boy, the young man <laughs> is from Michigan. Huh. Do y'all know any cars from Michigan? Oh, wait. This is Lloyd Carr's grandson. He is about to make his commitment again on CBS Sports HQ. You can watch it on the CBS Sports app and uh, in all of CBSSportsHQ.com. And right now, the 24-7 Sports Crystal Ball has him trending towards Notre Dame. So, and again, this is the, the 2024 cycle, so we, we have to keep that in mind. But still, uh, just a, a, a jarring type headline. I, before we get into you know, what this might mean for the recruiting trail and sort of the reaction to that potential, I, I guess I want to first throw it at Bud and say, what kind of prospect are we talking about with C.J. Carr? Is this a player who is, you know, as he's deciding between Notre Dame and Michigan and a few other uh, suitors, is this, is this a player or is this a name? Is this a dude or is this uh, somebody with connections? Both. Awesome. CJ Carr is both. He, he's he got the goods physically, I believe five-star on the composite, the number one player in Michigan for the class of 2024. Look, 2024 rankings are, are very early on. I know it doesn't feel like it's that far away, but uh, I can tell you that you know, most of our effort is going to be on the current class's recruiting rankings. But if we're going to slap those high grades on, on that kid this early, we're pretty conservative in doing so at 24-7 sports, right? We don't just throw out super high grades and then all of a sudden the kid's like a mid-level three-star 18 months later, unless he, you know, something really bad happens or something like that. Knock on wood, it doesn't. 
CJ Carr has got a really strong arm. He's accurate. He understands how to play the game. He is somebody that a whole lot of teams out there nationally are going to want. And, uh, you know, very smart kid. If he picks Notre Dame, as I think most people expect him to do, I think if you're Michigan fans, that should sting. Now, don't go acting like idiots on Twitter, as our Steve Wilfong talked about this morning on the Wilfong Whip Around uh, on 24-7 Sports. But, yeah, I mean, this is kind of what makes college ball fun, right? It's the the rivalry, the, damn, wait, you guys just took the grandson of the only guy to win a national championship here at Michigan since, what, the 40s or the 60s? It has been a minute. It had been a while. Yeah. You said don't act like an idiot on Twitter. Can you act like an idiot on the message boards? Because, uh, 100%. Yeah, that, please do. Yeah, yeah it's exactly. Because Jordan, I wanted to read, Jordan shared with us yesterday about this uh, from MGO Blog, a commenter on MGO Blog, his feelings, which let's just say they summarize all the Michigan fan base. Every single Michigan fan feels this way. Represented by this yes. one list. Represented by this one person named Blue in Paradise, not to be confused with Aaron Rodgers' new bow, Blue of Earth, but Blue in Paradise wrote, at this point, and I'm going to edit out some swears because he's got some salty language in here, and this is a family show. At this point, I wouldn't even want CJ. If the kid wants to make his own way, great. Go to Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, Oklahoma, Florida, USC, etc. Most everyone on this board would say, well, that sucks that Michigan didn't get him, but I get it. Best of luck to the kid, and we'll be supporting him. But picking Notre Dame? Really? He must be some sort of contrarian D-bag. You have to be pooping me if he thinks there's something there he can't get anywhere else. He is a five-star, so he could pretty much pick any school in the country. They have had decent results on the field under their old coaching staff, but zero evidence so far that the new coaching staff will be any good. Why not at least wait and see if they can coach? Like, give it a, you know, this is me now. Why not give it two years? to see how they feel before you pick them, you know, just wait it, just wait till you're 25. Uh, he has like 18 months before signing day. If they go 11 and one and or beat Ohio state, then good on him. I will admit I was wrong and never mentioned it again. If he's going to pick a freaking big three rival, I would have had more respect for him picking Ohio state, which makes way more sense in terms of on-field production and QB development. So mm. Michigan fans are good with it. Yeah. They're, they're handling it. Well, totally fine. Yeah. <laughs> I, Look, I think that, uh, like you said, it's what what makes college football fun. But I, I wanted to have two parts of this. Number one, he's going to announce his commitment on CBS Sports HQ. We, we imagine that he will probably stick to that, right? There's not going to be like a flip or like a decommit. I mean, what's the is, – is it done done when you're talking about prospects this far out? Because I'm – I'm trying to like gauge my expectations on how much weight we're going to put on this. It is incredibly notable here on June 9th that we're excited about it, but does Michigan stop recruiting him? Does Michigan State stop recruiting him? Like, do we do we back off of that? I know Michigan recently picked up a commitment from another quarterback in the 2024 class. So, in a, in a similar manner to when we look at the quarterback dominoes, maybe they're moving on. I I don't I don't know what to judge here. Uh, just based on this one bit of news. Is he, do you think he'll stick with that commitment? And do you think he'll stick in the class of 2024 as Jay Chillen asked in the chat, you know, will he reclassify? Is that an option that we could see for CJ Carr? It's certainly an option if you, if you have the grades to do so. Um, as far as the, the question of, of will the quarterback stick, typically the QB is the guy who's putting the name on the group chat, right? And he's mm-hmm. leading a lot of the recruiting efforts. That, that's one of the reasons why you want to get him so early in the process because he can be uh, one of your better recruiters. It's just kind of the natural leadership position, as, as Danny could tell you. Now, we do see some guys uh, decommit throughout, throughout the process. I know George has had a high-profile decommit uh, in the last 
couple years, uh, and so has Alabama. Although I think the Bama one might have been who ended up at, at North Carolina. That might have been a little bit of hey, we want to we want somebody else. Was that you Drake do some? Day? Yeah, sometimes you see decommitments if the kid thought he was going to be the only QB in the class, and then the school was like, eh, actually, we want two because it's the transfer portal era and things happen. But for the most part, with an elite level quarterback, I would say they decommit probably less often than almost any other position. The uh, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, like, for all the you know, his supposed loyalty, you know, because his granddad, I, I get that. But I think it's really hard for somebody to, to kind of start. And if you're 17, 18, you know, you're starting to make your own way. I mean, I, I think you have to appreciate the individual's decision that he's got to go where's best for him. You know, like Jim Harbaugh is not an easy guy to play for. I wouldn't think so. He's a peculiar guy, hyper competitive. Some quarterbacks may flourish under him. Some may not. And I think I'm stating the obvious. I mean, my college roommate, his dad played at Florida and he went to Florida State. And even his dad was like, who cares? I want you to go where you're happy. And I, I think Lloyd Carr would probably say the same thing to his grandson, right? I mean, you love, you would love for him to be a Michigan man, but you got to do what's best for you. And I, I would hope that a rational football fan would step back and be able to realize that. Although I get, I get the passion. Oh, and it's because Notre Dame's also going to needle. Like I, I'm, For sure. I'm not going to be able to be as familiar because I'm not in a lot of offices that have a Notre Dame alum and a Michigan alum. But good gravy, this is <laughs> this is awesome stuff. Uh, and I think that big takeaway for me again: CJ Carr committing on CBS Sports HQ Thursday night. Um, the big piece for me is probably the continued evaluation of Marcus Freeman. As we sit right now, his 2023 class is ranked number one in the country. Some of that is because he's got 14 commits, but in those 14 commits, he's got one five-star, and he's got five, six, seven, eight. I mean, just tons of blue chips already on board for that 23 class. You go and you get someone, CJ Carr, five-star in the composite, as Bud mentioned, and potentially could see uh, his grade at 24-7 sports even continue to increase once we get deeper in the cycle then yeah, we are going to be looking at a different level of talent as it pertains to what we expect from Notre Dame in the rankings, right? And, and another, yeah, and another aspect to consider of all of this, if you're CJ Carr, and like Bud said, he's a five-star quarterback already. It's still early in the process, but if he's a five-star right now or a high four-star, odds are this is a kid who's thinking he has an NFL future, and he wants to go somewhere that could maximize the possibility of getting there. And yes, his grandfather was the coach at Michigan, one of the better coaches they've ever had. But if you look at Michigan's offense last year, Michigan got to the college football playoff. It got there by throwing the ball 28 times a game, which ranked 11th in the Big Ten and 96th nationally. Notre Dame is not like a air raid pass happy offense, but they threw the ball 35 times a game, which ranked 31st nationally. So if you're a QB, maybe he just wants to go somewhere where he's not going to be asked to turn around and hand the ball off 25 to 30 times a game. Maybe he wants to throw it around. And maybe that's why he looks at Michigan and says, might not be the best fit for me. Now, I think a Michigan fan, an educated Michigan fan, like what is Notre Dame doing? Throwing the football? But this is one of those things where I think you might see a different-looking offense with Tommy Reese able to kind of throw the ball more with Brian Kelly gone. Maybe he was a little more ball-control conservative. Now you think see things open up. So that would be an interesting storyline to see if it plays out. 
Notre Dame did throw the football a lot more last yeah. year, though, under mm-hmm. Tommy Reese. And go back, mm-hmm. they they had to throw it a couple times, 40 times a game. I mean, not every game, certainly, but there were some games the Irish really had to chuck it around quite a bit. I, I think for Michigan, like, obviously, if Notre Dame gets C.J. Carr tonight, it's going to be a great get for them. They're still in it with you know a number of other top kids as well in this class. Michigan State fans are extremely excited about what they're doing. They're all in our, our Twitter mentions of how they have more four- and five-star prospects scheduled to visit in the month of July, or excuse me, in the month of June, uh, than the entire Big Ten West does, which is awesome, although you actually have to sign them, not just visit. But, and look, Penn State is killing it in recruiting once again and has been doing so for about two years now. Ohio State not really slowing down uh, based on, on my observations here. You know, Michigan, I think, if you're a Michigan fan, A, you are also in it with Jaden Davis, the 2024 QB, who I think is the top kid in the class of 2024 quarterback-wise right now. So, there's a chance that Michigan signs somebody better than C.J. Carr, if you want to feel mm-hmm. a little bit better about that. But I think this would really sting if you don't get C.J. Carr and you also don't get Dante Moore. Dante Moore is the other real blue-chip kid out of Michigan. He's a class of 2023 guy. If you go 0-2 and barbecue on those guys, then I think you're going to have some depressed message boards for a little bit because there's no guarantee that you get Jaden Davis. You know, And that's, that's tough. From one uh, just... Good bloodlines, thoroughbred, pure breed to another. Arch Manning, Arch Manning, Arch Manning, Arch Manning visit, Arch Manning commitment, Arch Manning scoop. Arch Manning had his uh, had an official visit to Georgia. Now, this wasn't his only time at Georgia. In fact, I believe according to Steve Wiltfong's right up on 24-7 Sports, he had been to Georgia like five, six, or seven times. Like This visit was all about Kirby Smart getting an opportunity to show what it would be like if you were at Georgia. He was very sure to get other pass catchers from the recruiting class who were on board there so that he could be around with potential future teammates. We got the photo of Arch Manning in the Georgia pads and uniform and get to see that circling around to get all the Georgia fans excited. Now, in a previous mailbag episode, uh, I believe that Tom, Danny, and I were looking at it. We were talking Georgia. We were talking Texas. We were talking Alabama. And then... You know, started to get some feedback. Uh, you know, LSU. I would, is LSU still in this? Uh, again, can we just start there? Like, are we limiting ourselves when we're just talking about Georgia, Texas, and Alabama? And what does sort of the timeline or the next couple months look like for Arch Manning? So you're right, and everybody should listen to the 24/7 Sports Recruiting Podcast as well. After you get done listening to all the Cover Three episodes that we've done this week, because they had Kip Adams on of the Junkyard Dogcast, who our producer Jordan also produces and so we just got total network synergy here got got to get all the, all the plugs in but I, I think Georgia put a great foot forward with, with, with Arch Manning and I don't know exactly what his decision timeline is going to be like he has not set a date uh, and I know this because we would talk about it in every single editorial meeting until he announces if he had already set a date right um, I still think this is probably Georgia Texas versus the field mm. uh, not saying Alabama is out. I don't think Alabama's out. Alabama would like to take two quarterbacks in this class if one of those QBs is named Manning. Um, I haven't heard a lot of LSU. It doesn't mean that they are completely out. Recruiting is wild, and it, it can change. Um, but I think if you're Arch Manning, you kind of know what you get at Georgia, I think. Although you probably want to see – I'm of the belief, and I'm sure this is what Georgia's pitching to Arch Manning, that Georgia would like to open up the offense if they didn't have – you know. JT Daniels couldn't stay healthy, 
right? And they, you know, Justin transferred and all that stuff. Uh, and so they were stuck with Stetson Bennett and the best defense of like the last seven or eight years. So we played it the way we played. It. But I, I hired Todd Munkin to come in and organize this and modernize this offense. So I'm already taking, you know, actionable steps here. I just need a, a signal caller to come in and be that dude. And who knows? Like they may have a quarterback competition this fall and have a different guy QBing, although I kind of doubt it um, as far as somebody actually pulling the trigger there. If you're if you're Irish man, you, know, you also need to watch Texas and see, okay, just how good is this offense going to look? We think Texas offensive line come 2023 is going to be nasty. They signed the best offensive line class in the country last year. So you know, if you're Arch, true freshman, you got a bunch of second-year guys, right, who signed in that class who are nasty up front. They still have Xavier Worthy for another year in your true freshman year. They're doing a nice job recruiting at receiver position. The path to playing time seems fairly obvious there as well because you got to think Quinn Ewers is not going to be a four-year guy, I would assume. Um they both look like great options. I really don't know where he's going to go. I think he should go to Illinois. <laughs> <laughs> when, hey, when, I, I did predict or predict that he would wear orange back in our <laughs> December mailbag. So what, Texas what, is kind of my last shot at being right there. What was that? So Texas and who would have been Texas, in- Clemson. Um, I guess technically Florida wears orange. Mm-hmm. Yeah, can I can I rope them in with that? I guess is Florida still in? I mean, is that's the the interesting thing is as these other programs would would love to take another quarterback if his name is Manning, as you mentioned. Like, is this or are you starting to get the sense from the trail that all these other schools are looking at this and seeing it as being a, a Georgia Texas type situation too? Okay, so I'll, I'll I'll share some of my experience from camp this last weekend. Right, I'm sitting with some G five coaches and some guys who are in P five schools, but not P five schools that are going to recruit you know, five-star quarterbacks. And they're all really interested. Where do you think this kid goes? Where do you think that this kid goes? Because if certain schools miss on certain kids, then they're going to offer the kids at these G5 schools and lower P5 schools are hoping they can sneak, you know, sneak under the radar and get, and get them in, in school and get them signed. Uh, and so I was like, well, what happens with, with Rashada, right? Can Miami get him? And one of the coaches told me he thought that Florida would strike out on both Manning and Rashada. And so he's worried about Florida offering one of the kids that he likes. And the other one was like, yeah, I hope that Miami uh, gets Rashada so that they, they don't go and offer this other kid that they like. So I would suspect that it's Georgia or Texas for Arch Manning, but I don't think you can count out Nick Saban. You would be really uh, – it's just not good business to count out Nick Saban in recruiting until it's all said and done. What about Ole Miss? No, I don't think they're going to get him. So like they want they want to spread out the Manning, yeah. Because like, we got it in Tennessee, Peyton yeah. Tennessee. Now somebody else gets a shot. I mean, okay. it's only fair. That's mm-hmm. that, you gotta build just, a brand. That's why I think Texas. Maybe you go a little further west. You know, get that Manning brand out there even more. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's the the playing time in the system, right? If if he chooses Texas, the whether this is a fair take or not, and it might be unfair. If Arch Manning chooses Texas. Part of the analysis has to be Georgia's quarterback history under Kirby Smart, right? Sure. I think it's also like, is there a part of you that wants to be the reason why that? Now, again, paying attention close to what Sark does with Quinn Ewers, but let's assume Texas is nine and three, you know, 10 and two, and you could be the guy that helps them get back to another 
national championship. Like if you go to Georgia, you're keeping the ball rolling. And I get like I think if you're Georgia, the sell is you will be our Tua, you know, the transition at Alabama that took place when Kiffin took over, Tua was inserted, and then all of a sudden we went from middle to back end of the pack passing attack to one of the best in the country. You could be that difference for us. You'll be the guy that will come in and take this, and you can help us build a dynasty. And I think Bama, obviously, their sell is what it is. They're going to help continue the dynasty. We've had these you know, first-round quarterbacks. And if you're Texas, I think the pitch is you are the difference maker. You're the guy that's going to help make us relevant again, that's going to bring Texas back. So I think the pitches are pretty you know, set forth there. And they're all going to sell NFL and more development. But I think that's where you appeal to the personality. And I don't know what his personality is. You know, they're all good options. That's the thing. Like, you really can't go wrong. Do we do we have like a timeline for this? No, no, because I mean he's he's visiting Alabama this weekend, according to his twenty four seven page, and he's visiting Texas next weekend. He visited Georgia last week, so like it's not really kind of ramping up towards decision time with all these visits happening. Most of these kids will get pressured into making decisions but he on the coach because, on the coach's yeah. timeline because he but <laughs> he doesn't have time. to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like even so, a lot of these top one hundred kids will get leveraged. You're not going to leverage the Mannings. I mean, they they basically like fix the NFL draft one year. You know? That is true. You know, I had not considered that the family I mean, fixed the NFL draft might look at the college recruiting cycle and scoff about timelines and things. So, like that. I have a th- I have a thought here. Uh, this this would be an inducement, but it it might be what I would ask for. If I was the Manning family, and maybe I was trying to start my own TV network or streaming you know channel. Texas has this Longhorn Network thing hanging over there, and they're not going to—they're not going to need that now that they join the SEC. So the it's infrastructure sort of like is already in place. I'm saying, like, it, plus, you already have some existing subscriber base there. We've already got credit cards, it, nil, passwords. Mm-hmm. Let's go. The, the, we can put the Manning Cast on Manning Plus. Mm. I just yeah. Listen, I'm sorry for the free ideas. You can cut me a check <laughs> later. Um, okay, so you mentioned leverage and commitments. Something, One last uh, recruiting headline that is sort of more of a discussion topic, especially as we look at um, the Clemson Tigers in particular. For a long time, there was uh, Dabo Sweeney had a policy where he was not uh, hosting official visits during the month of June. And is that, but is that period or is that unless you were committed? It was pretty much period, man. Like they were not taking OVs over the summer very much. And they were really not taking OVs if you had not prior visited on your own dime. Because Dabo's line was essentially, if you're not willing to you know, pay your own way to come here to check us out, how interested are you in us really? Uh, but now... Jeff. Now that's changed. And look, this this past weekend was the first weekend uh, in Dabo Sweeney's career that they hosted official visits. They had four commitments coming out of the weekend. They've got another huge weekend coming up. So I guess the, the, the pitch or the question here is, do you believe, A, that this is a sign that Dabo Sweeney is evolving or you know some willing to take on new ideas as he has – uh, entered into a next era of sort of Dabo Sweeney Clemson football, the massive turnover that we've had on the coaching staff, the way that everything has been reworked. And then, you know, B, do you, do you see this being something that is a, a positive? Uh, if if 
Dabo Sweeney has been uh, stuck in his ways. He has been, uh, he has his talking points. You, you know exactly what you're going to get with Dabo Sweeney. It, is this not necessarily indicative of anything larger with Dabo Sweeney as the human being, but in terms of the way he runs his football program, uh, what do you make of Dabo Sweeney uh, sort of changing his approach to the recruiting trail? Do you think it'll yield different results? So I, let's go back to the coaching ranks episode. And I, I in our, our group chat, group chat, I was like, "Hey, I was one of those guys that had Kirby over Dabo." This this was one of those reasons because I I saw a lot of areas in which I felt like, yes, Dabo is a more accomplished coach than Kirby Smart is. There's no debating that. However, we, like, who would I rather have right now? You know, when we voted back in was that March or April? I guess May uh, or April would, May. Yeah, like, w- would you? I would rather have have Kirby because I felt like he was adapting to the changing landscape of college football better. You know, Kirby wasn't out there making a bunch of comments against player compensation, against the transfer portal, uh, you know, like not Kirby was actually adjusting to the changing landscape of college football. And I didn't really see Dabo was doing that at much at the time. So that's kind of the basis on why I thought, uh, you know, maybe Kirby over Dabo, but this could be as, as well as Dabo, like promoting entirely from within to replace the coordinator's, Give me a little bit of an uneasy feeling. It made me like, okay, how, how big is his network really of guys he can go get? However, I, I think this is potentially a positive sign for Clemson that maybe Clemson is not going to go away, uh, that they are willing to adjust. They got a whole bunch of commitments out of that thing this weekend, including Kylan Webb, uh, who committed between shifts as his, at, like between lifeguarding shifts. So that's, that's a very Florida thing right there. That was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I, I think it could be a sign. Like I still want to see what he does with the transfer portal. You know, I want to see if he changes his uh, stance on some things that I think players will probably increasingly care about. But it's not a negative that he's adapting. What do so think? you think? You, you going to put him over Kirby? Yeah, probably. Now, now that I see now that I see some of these changes, I, I'd, I'd probably keep him up there. Because now, now you yeah, trust I do. the I process. Yeah. I don't want to be like too alarmed, but I think it's evolve or die. Like, right. I just think, yeah. and any good businessman uh, or woman, uh, coach, any leader, anybody, you have to evolve with the changing landscape or else you will not survive. I mean, the greatest coaches who have done it the longest were able to adapt and change on the fly and kind of read things. And I think Dabo's been stubborn. For a long time, and I don't, you know, even the transfer portal is something he's really been resistant to. I don't even know if he wants to change that really deep down inside. But I think he's realizing, hey, there's just I've I've got to adapt here, and I don't have to. I think the thing that he's starting to realize is I don't have to give up my culture because I'm making some compromises. Because mm-hmm. I I appreciate that. Like you want to today's environment is hard to build culture, and I think Dabo realizes that. But I think he's starting to realize I can still have a healthy culture and embrace some of the new changes in college football. I also think all the change in that program probably helps spur it because like, I'm not, not to say like Venables and Elliot were the two that were like, no, we're not going to do this. We do it. our. It's just when you have as much change as they're going through right now in that program at the coaching positions and with some of the roster, you know, just like, change breeds change so when you're kind of starting over and refreshing things and you're dabble and you're looking around you're like all right we'll do this well okay let's change this up because if if things are staying you know things are working a certain way and everybody's the same it's the same coaches you're surrounded with every single season every single week 
and it's working, you don't really have a reason to change anything. Like it's, it's sometimes there's nothing that motivates it. But now when you see all these stuff happening and it's like, all right, we got a new OC, we got a new DC, we've got new relationships building. We're going to try something else here too. We might as well. All right, let's try this now. See if we could fix this or change this and adapt. Without a doubt. I mean, we, we always talked about Clemson, you know, gets its OKGs. It's our kind of guys. Well, you, you can still find those OKGs. Just let them, let them come on an official visit in June. You can let them come a little bit earlier, uh, and so you can get to know them and get to uh, get to lock that down. Chris Vizina, they're already uh, committed blue chip quarterback, but we got a fifth star, right? Yeah, like Vizina is pretty good. I I I think Clemson likely got one there that uh, other schools would have loved to circle back on if they were not in the arch sweepstakes. Like if Georgia had bowed out of the arch. Uh, you know, race earlier, is there a chance that they are, you know, that that Vizina's in their class? But Clemson did a nice job feeling out where they were with Arch and and taking Vizina's commitment. I, I think it's a, a tremendous get. So Chris Vizina again, part of this the- is a good quarterback year, by the way, man. Like I, I'm really excited to go to Lead Eleven this year. I didn't go last year, and uh, I mean this year we got we got six or seven dudes who are very very good. I think Nico. Eli Holstein, Chris Vizina, Arch Manning. Who else? Malachi. Malik, who's already committed to USC, right? Yeah. Yeah. Speaking speaking of changes in, in like ratings for recruits, but I'm going to give you the same treatment I gave Barton. Uh, Jamarian Harkless, a three-star defensive tackle from Lexington, Kentucky. He was rated as an 86 on the composite. Commits to Illinois. Drops immediately to a point eight five one one. What are you doing? Uh, so I do have an announcement on the composite. The composite now includes grades from all of the rating services. So a bunch of kids' grades changed. I actually I got talked to this by, by a five star receiver uh, down on Monday night at FIU. He's like, Why why'd you guys drop me? And I was like, Keem, you gotta scroll down a little bit. Look at our rating on you. We 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 kept you the same, you know, the the composite uh, just updated because now it has more services in it. I will say D tackles are hard to rate, man, because like we had this discussion yesterday in the rankings meeting because there's this big D tackle who a lot of the top schools really love because they know they can throw him in there and use him as, as a zero nose in college and it'll be good. But the NFL is such a passing game now, and we grade all of our rankings based on the NFL draft. It's kind of the objective metric that keeps things the same when we want to tell everybody that we're better than other services, which we've been now for I think five or six years running. And the gap's increasing. Uh, D tackles who don't rush the passer effectively don't get drafted highly. Jordan Davis. Did. Jordan Davis <laughs> is kind of the exception, but, but he's like, kind of a he's kind of a freak. So <laughs> yeah, if you're from this planet, and, and, <laughs> yeah, then you know. So like like, are you willing to go five stars on a kid who doesn't have pass rush ability? I will say Harkless has been an 87 on the 24-7 rating the entire time. It was the on th- the on three was the new one that we added. Yeah. yeah. And the number five player in Kentucky, according to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we, we we like him a good bit more than the composite, which has been the number 12 player in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think I'm, I agree more with you guys than the other the rest. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I just like I was watching his highlight tape. It's just like. Okay, because like when you like, I don't want to get too much, but when you're watching like a high schooler or a prospect, I don't obviously this isn't my specialty by far, but there are some guys you can just kind of tell when you're watching like they move a little differently than other guys, and especially for somebody his size. Watching his tape, I was like, he moves pretty good for somebody that big. He's probably should be you know 
closer to four than middle three. Uh, there's a fun tape this weekend from Mega Camp. This kid named Shymeek Jones, S H Y M E I K Jones, out of Camden, South Carolina. So he didn't have any offers. He came to camp. I talked to him, and he's 6'5, 255. I think he had 79 wing, uh, had the fastest time of anybody over 225 pounds, I think. And it's uh, like, yeah, it's my first year playing football. I actually got hurt last year, so I didn't get to play very much. I was a basketball kid. And, uh, he wrecked it up there. I think every school at the camp offered him. Plus Missouri, who wasn't even Missouri wasn't even at the camp. And they're like, all right, we're gonna offer this. It is hard. Yeah. And then I, I pulled up his huddle to watch him, and he's playing like stand-up linebacker and kind of wrecking people. I was like, oh, this is fun. This is this is kind of a cool tape for a guy that doesn't really know what he's admittedly doesn't know what he's doing yet because he's a hooper. So uh, much fun. I, yeah. I love the basketball players who jump in, and they've clearly just been told chase ball. And they Julius just Peppers ball. being like, oh, he played in high school, obviously. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As we'll, we, we can talk about uh, pride of Bailey, North Carolina another time. Uh, coming up on the other side, we dive into the big old bag of mail, including a look at the recent conference champions, who is most likely to repeat, and starting right now, who is more likely to win a championship first? National championship, Florida State or Wisconsin? That and more next The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there.
there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. A reminder, if you want to jump into the big old bag of mail, all you have to do is leave us a five-star review. And in that review, go ahead and put your question. I appreciate all of you that have reached out in the mailbag with uh, you know, questions about my legal issues and, and sort of where I was and, and what was going on. And, and, may, and maybe we'll have a time to address that. But this, this mailbag episode uh, is not one, but I appreciate uh, all the well, wish, well wishes and concern. This question comes from PM Dubs. Hi, guys. Love the show and have been telling all my friends to give it a listen. Thank you, PM Dubs. That is the off-season challenge for our listeners. Tell at least one friend who might like us about the Cover 3 podcast. I have two questions I hope you guys can answer or debate. Number one, with all the talk of conferences going to nine games, does that give Notre Dame more of a squeeze to join a conference? Would Notre Dame count as one of the nine conference games for the ACC school? We can maybe get to that, but this was the one that I thought was uh, interesting and wanted to chop up with you guys. Second question, I have had a long-time debate with my friends about who is more likely to win a national championship, Florida State or Wisconsin. My friends say Wisconsin because they are more consistently good and need fewer pieces to get them there. I say Florida State because even though they are further away and need more pieces, the natural talent in Florida is much more prevalent and more likely to go to Florida State if they finally start turning things around Thanks. Mm. I'm going to start because I know what these other two are going to say. These Seminoles. Homers. Make the case. Steal our answer. Make the case. Uh, Florida State. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, Florida State did just win a national title less than a decade ago. And I, I, I understand what your friends are saying because I've argued for Wisconsin's ability to get to the college football playoff because playing in the Big Ten West – they're one of the more dominant programs. If they win the division, they go to Indianapolis. They have a good day. They could win the Big Ten and get to the playoff. They're once they get there, that's probably going to be the end because they have improved. Like the, the recruiting has ticked up there, but they're not recruiting at a level where you can really win national titles yet. And I don't know that they ever really truly will. And plus, if you look at the crystal ball, I don't know for sure what the Big Ten is going to do. But if the Big Ten kind of follows the suit that most other conferences seem to be leaning towards and gets rid of divisions, that really hurts Wisconsin's ability to win the Big Ten and get to the playoffs simply because now they're no longer in the West. They're going to be competing directly with Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, Michigan State. And Florida State, like, it's still freaking Florida State, man. I know that they've been down, but we know what their ceiling is, and it's national title. Wisconsin's ceiling has never been national title. One claimed ever- national championship for the Wisconsin Badgers. I believe it's 1942. Which so that's world, that's, which is during a world war. It's yeah. pre-integration and during a world war. So yeah. those those are the breaks that Wisconsin <laughs> needed, or the set the set of circumstances. Uh, Florida State with multiple national championships, uh, all of them since 1993. I will is, say. It, I will it is say striking to think about that is like, wait, hold on. So how, how much time does it's essentially how much time does FSU need to get back? And what breaks does Wisconsin need to be able to win those last two games? I will say if Wisconsin needs segregation and a world war looking around, 
not as unlikely as you might have thought a few years ago. <laughs> you, uh, barring a Kohler family magnate coming in and being able to buy some recruiting classes, I just, I, I think, I mean, we've covered this ad nauseum. Like you, you have to have a top five recruiting class. Florida State has had them in the past. Wisconsin, I don't. What's their highest? Do you think fifteenth? It's probably the highest they've ever had, maybe in history. So they, they are higher always than that? in like the blue chip ratio. I, I used to do a little in segment of the article of schools that are one class away from breaking into the blue chip ratio bare minimum threshold. Wisconsin's never there. They mm. are always two theoretical classes away. They just don't sign enough good players to win a national title. And Tom's point is great, by the way. They're probably going to pick up an extra 0.5 to 0.75 losses per year if the Big Ten does shuffle those divisions. Which will hurt recruiting, by the way, because you're not going to get to some of these Rose Bowls on the back of these joke Big Ten West schedules. Or the oh, yeah. Um, what about the? Oh, I guess is it Flor- Bud, Danny? Flor- I'm sorry, I, I cut Danny. I cut yeah. Danny, Danny off and answering and answering his little sub question. Sorry. No, yeah, I, I mean, I think it's pretty easy. I don't think we're being homers either. I think it's Florida State. No, I think it's. I, I'm wondering if this guy's friends are Wisconsin fans. <laughs> so what's? So what is the? Uh, how many classes away is Florida State from being back in ACC championship? Let's start there. Competing for the ACC championship. This is interesting because it ties into something earlier in, in in the show. Are we is Clemson going to keep killing and recruiting? Is that like is is it more Clemson falls back and that opens the door for Florida State? Is it a zero sum game? Well, I think if Clemson stays killing it, then the answer is like three. Right. If not, then the answer is probably two. Eleven two. So from 2011 to 2015. Both were about as close to their peak as we're going to get, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 2011, yes. Clemson wins. 2012, 13, 14, Florida State wins. 15, it's the first year, first full season with Deshaun as a, as a starting quarterback. And then the problems for Florida State kind of start in 2016. When yep. you get In those years, too, Florida State was top five recruiting almost every year. Yeah, then you know, Jimbo was I'll, crushing it. I'd say two. I would like the ACC to get back to that. <laughs> yeah, no, it'd be it'd be great. It'd be good for college football. It um, I think two is probably the right answer, but I also think there's a wrinkle in there with the new transfer portal because, I mean, Norvell's done a pretty good job, and that that opens up a little bit of a quicker path. I think if you get some sort of difference maker or a couple of them, like a Jermaine Johnson that you had last year. So if you combine those, I'd say two. But and I think that's why it's massive this year for Norvell to gain some momentum so that he can start cracking into those top twenty-five or top, you know, top ten, excuse me, recruiting classes. But you gotta you gotta like show an eight win, nine, you know, signature win type of season before you're gonna start doing that. We yeah, were I mean, I, most of these kids are gonna make their decision long before the season ends, right? Uh so it's probably more like if you need to win enough to where you're not seen as a lame duck entering 23. Mm-hmm. That's the goal. And uh, and also speaking of the portal, Jared Verse, right? We took him in yep. the transfer portal draft. Once again, you've got a potential to have one of your best players on the roster be somebody that you uh, that you picked up from the transfer portal. All and right. The, and the, the linebacker we got from UCF is probably going to be one of the best linebackers they've had since Telvin Smith. Wow. Now, I'm not saying he's anywhere near that good. I'm just saying like they've had really poor linebacker play for about half decade now. So 
keep an eye on it. Yeah. All right. Next question. Great pod as always. However, if there's one segment I do miss, it is the cover three book club. It was a fun segment and you all offered some very good suggestions. Maybe we'll bring it back. Is everybody reading books right now? I'm always. Chip, how many kids books. you got now in that house? Yeah. You, we you reading two, a lot of books. Two under two. <laughs> no. Yeah. No, I, I read the back of uh, I read the back of pouches to look at the ingredients to see if I've got enough iron percentage to be able to make it worth throwing the sugar into his body. That's about it. Um, all right, great pot as always. We will bring back the Cover Three Book Club uh, before we get into the season, at, at least in an episode or a couple of episodes, to be able to offer some suggestions to you. Uh, question: but Can I give? Can I give uh, one? Heck- Yes, nomination right now. I'm reading a book and it happens to be about college football, so I might as well recommend it. Scoreboard, baby. It is about the Washington Huskies uh, a few years ago. Some of this, maybe you guys remember like the Jeremy Stevens stuff. Just some, it's a, it's one of those looks into a college football program that's not appealing, but it is interesting and informative. Mm. Wait, what is the, what was the Jeremy Stevens stuff? Uh, like the sexual assault kind of stuff. It's uh-huh. it's about a Washington football program that had a whole lot of arrests and things that were kind of swept under the rug by local authorities just because the team was winning games. It's not a it's not an unfamiliar story that we've <laughs> seen many times. Who is the head coach then? The- uh, Rick Neuheisel. Interesting. Hmm. So it's uh, we'll we'll have to uh, to check that out. It it reminded me of uh, a book that. Yeah, it's it's still up in Bud's display, but like the system by Armin Katayan, mm-hmm. that you know goes into a lot of those stories from all across the country with a very interesting look at the inner workings of all that. Uh, oh, all right. one book question for you guys: Have you either of you two soccer dudes read the book that Sankey talked about, like the how the Premier yes. League or Championship, yep. whatever it's called, the club? Is it good? Worth reading? Uh, yeah, you don't really have to care about soccer to understand it at all. It's more of the business of the league than it is about the sport. The one that inspired Sankey to future <laughs> break off and take the SEC <laughs> and define it as the elite uh, place for college football. I will say, like, I read it long before the Sankey thing, and ever since it's been nominated, people are like, wow, this is really insightful. It's like I, there was nothing that I read in that book that struck me as some sort of crazy idea. Like it's really just like the Premier League, Amer- like Americanized its sport. It's like it's nothing different than what we've always done here for the most part. Oh, like they looked at American professional sports and right looked at revenue streams outside of you know match day <laughs> kind of stuff. Outside so hey, tickets. we can make a ton of money off of TV. What did you think of that? That is where it all comes from. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, question of the four non-SEC Power Five champions from last season, which is Baylor. Pitt, Utah, and Michigan. So of Baylor, Pitt, Utah, and Michigan, who do you think has the best chance to repeat as conference champions in 2022? Easy. You yeah. think it's easy? I think it's a Baylor-Utah debate. I think, I think it's you Utah. Can, oh, I thought it was, I thought it was, it was Utah-Pitt. I thought it was Utah slam the door. Utah slam the door. I'm with Danny. Yeah. All right. So if, if we all agree it's Utah, who's your number two? Baylor. Yeah, Baylor. Baylor. I'm going Pitt. Really? So losing Mark Whipple, losing Kenny Pickett, losing Jordan Addison. Like I and I like Narduzzi and I like Pitt, but I think they're, you know, eight wins this season, which is a good year, and I think they'll stay good. But I don't know. That's a lot that's a lot to recover from when you're not having a top five, you know, recruiting class every year. It's an interesting debate though, 
because in, in looking at it, I, I think I have Baylor winning like seven games. See, but, I, yeah, or, or eight games. But how many? Like, I think two teams in the Big Twelve title game will probably have it. One of the teams in the Big Twelve title game will have three losses. I have to think, most likely. I don't know what's going to happen in the ACC. Pitt returns all their offensive line, all their defensive line, and that entire secondary. Like, I think they're going to be really nasty on defense. I think a lot of those offensive lines in that in that side of the division got totally gutted. Like you know, the Hokies, Duke already sucked. UVA. Uh, I think you're going to cruise to a lot of easy victories. They don't have to play Clemson, but they probably will have to play in the Clemson title game. Right? That, um, yeah. See, I want like I have Utah as number one, and so I have Baylor number two. But to be clear, there's a huge gap between where I have Utah and then any of the other candidates for as far as their likelihood to win their conference. Because I think honestly, you can make the solid argument Utah's the favorite to win the Pac-12. I don't think Baylor, Pitt, any of those other schools are the favorites to win their conference. Betting advice? You can find plus 400 on Utah right now, and you can find plus 400 on Oregon. Some of these sites have all listed at plus 200. Don't take those. Like That's just silly. So the, get, offensive, go, go line, the offensive line, the defensive line, and the secondary is what's powering a good power rating for Pitt. Because there is you know, scanning power ratings across the board I have gotten a hunch that these might be some computer tricking kitties that the Pittsburgh Panthers have just enough to be able to like tweak it where the absence of a Mark Whipple um, and the, the transition to Signetti, the absence of a Kenny Pickett and the transition to Keaton Slovis and the absence of Jordan Addison. And I don't have a Jordan Addison, you know, go to replacement right now that might be more significant than even the power ratings and the numbers are, are ready to project right now. I saw the computer trick and kitties open for the squirrel nut zippers in 98. I, I had Pitt as a top six team last year for a lot of the season. So I've downgraded them quite a bit because I'm very worried that Narduzzi is going to turn back into like a defense coordinator type who just wants to run the ball all the time and not score enough points and play too many close games. And even though your defense's nails lose most close games because you didn't, you know, take enough risk offensively and throw the ball around. Uh, but look that at this schedule. Huge, that would be a huge step forward for their running backs. That would be a huge step forward for their offensive line. And like bringing back the entire yeah. offensive line, you know, it's it's that old like, oh, is it is it good or is it not good? Because Pitt, when Pitt needed to, Pitt really struggled to run the ball at times last season. That's true. All right, here's their schedule though. We talk about ACC's a QB league. They miss a lot of those best QBs, guys. Georgia yeah. Tech can't block Pitt. Hokies, I don't think can block Pitt. Louisville, they can block Pitt. North Carolina, mm. Chip, you, you give me some kind of sign with a face here. We, we thinking the strength conditioning program won't kick in there, or Mac Brown's boys still gonna be pretty soft. I mean, it's it's good to have mobile quarterbacks. Good to have All guys right. who can throw on the run. Syracuse can't block him. Virginia definitely can't block him. Duke can't block him. Then they finish at Miami. Yeah, they get a really nice ACC draw this year for a team that's got grown men on both sides line of scrimmage. There's going to be a lot of these teams they can just beat the crap out of up front. They can definitely. But if Clemson is a top ten team level team, then then I'm wrong, and you guys are definitely right. I'm just I don't think it's clear cut Baylor. I I don't know. Sell me on Baylor. What do you guys like about this Baylor team? Oh, Blake Shapen. 
Yeah. You know, uh, I think too, I think I think Jeff Grimes is the coordinator. I think Aranda, I think culture, like winning, getting a taste of that, but I think their win total is seven or seven and a half. Like it's pretty low. Um I also like another part of it too is Texas, you can never really count out a Texas, you know, pants pooping, even though I do think they'll be better. And then Oklahoma, we really don't know what it's gonna be like under Brent Venable. So I, I think there are a lot of kind of X factors. But like I said, I don't think Baylor's winning the Big Twelve this year. I just think they're more likely to win the Big 12 than Pitt is the ACC. And none of us said Michigan. None of us. All love none Ohio of State. But, I mean, can you make a case? Could you say that Michigan physicality, old yeah. team mentality could take it and you know, just shove it down Ohio State's throat and yes. keep them off the field? No doubt. You know? Yeah. I, what, I, if, I mean, what if Ohio State – like you have to build in quarterback injury possibilities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I don't like I don't think Michigan's gonna fall off the face of the earth this year. I just it's such a harder path because they've got that in their own division they've got to deal with. So it's but no, they are like like I talked about earlier this week too. Like I think if McCarthy takes over that job, that's a good thing for Michigan and it's probably a good sign. But still, Michigan of the four, number four. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Because of Ohio State. I mean, yeah. It's, it's, confidence in that. it's yeah, it's got yeah. nothing to do with Michigan. Yeah. yeah. Um, deep, my, my concern for Michigan is definitely on the defensive side of the football where they lost everyone and they've got a changeover at coordinator. And that's just a little bit too much uncertainty for me to, uh, to jump on board with that. See, I think they'll still be okay. Just because of who I they've th- got. I think that they've got some talented players ready to step in and fill in. I don't think you're going to see an Aiden Hutchinson type season from anyone in particular. Sure. But I think you could see a more well balanced kind of a pass rush than just one guy kind of driving it. Fair. And a Chapo too. But I oh I wasn't saying Dax Hill's name until I saw Dax Hill play. Mm-hmm. Right. Like he. But was he on your radar? Dax Hill. Very yeah. much. Yeah, because he was a five star safety oh, that Bama go. legitimately wanted. There you go. Uh, all right, let's one more before we get out of here. This question comes from Matt, and we're just going like a very deep into our Tallahassee bag here. So yeah. <laughs> I'm glad we've got both of our Knowles uh, on the show. Uh, Matt asks, can Bud explain the backstory of why Auburn and Florida State do not play more often, parentheses, even in other sports? Auburn is the second closest FBS school to tally you would think the series would have been born due to proximity and cost decades ago. Thanks, and R.I.P. Barton. I can't. I don't oh, actually I know. What's the story here? I, I I don't know. Is there a story? I was I was assuming that there, there was some inside Tallahassee. Like, Kenny, dude, yeah, you heard, I was like, getting I'll, ready I'll to learn something too. I, I thought you were going to drop some knowledge on us. I just think if you're Florida State and you already play Florida from the SEC. Why are you putting a second Every, SEC team on the yeah, schedule? Yeah, I would trust me. I would, and they're doing it next year. I mean, they're playing LSU. I would love, you know, in back to back years, I would love to see it. I think it is a great natural rivalry, um, you know, especially since we matched up in the national title game. But I go back, I think it was, you know, Bo Jackson against Dion maybe back in the day. Like there were some really good matchups that were a ton of fun. And I think, but I do think that was a time that Bobby Bowden was trying to build Florida State and had a we'll play anybody anywhere mentality. I think now, like, although the programs are very similar right now with the, you know, uh, win expectations and for the program, maybe they'll meet in a bowl this season. <laughs> Wouldn't be that far-fetched. They played for the national championship. Uh, or that. Yeah, yeah, or that. Yes. <laughs> well, plus, they were independent at the time, weren't they? Yeah. So it's yeah. A much easier to schedule yeah. those games when you've got 12 games to fill. Yeah. 
Did you ever make a, a like a, a drive up to Auburn? I don't think I've ever like tackled that little stretch of land up there from from Tallahassee to uh, just up two thirty one, man. Yeah, I never drove from Tallahassee to Auburn. I never made that drive. Not is it that close? I mean, I, is that is that like factually correct? The couple hours. Mon- Montgomery's what four and a half from Tally? Yeah, I mean, Florida Before? obviously is two hours would be an FBS program. I, it's I was like, second closest FBS program. So Tuscaloosa's further. Uh, yes, yeah, Tusca- like further down the road. So if you guys want a quick little little rule, right? If you think if you think Auburn, think Montgomery. If you think if you think Alabama, think Birmingham. That's mm-hmm. they're basically like forty five minutes outside of each. Also, like you could just also look at Auburn as Atlanta too. I mean, it's not that yeah. far. Away. Oh yeah, that's where I've stayed every time I've gone to Auburn. Stayed in Atlanta, and just take that drive on in. I'm sure there's cheaper on game day weekend. <laughs> I'm sure. That, I'm sure there's some. There is a, a lovely Spring Hill Suites or something that is uh, in Auburn and closer to the stadium. But that's uh, that's that's not been the way that I end up doing it. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. You can follow him at Danny Canelli. You can follow him at Bud Elliott 3. We'll be back on Monday. We're going to continue rolling with our drafts. On deck next week, we've got the Oklahoma Drill Draft, a fantastic suggestion that came from a mailbag episode in which we're taking two offensive linemen, one running back, two defensive linemen, one linebacker. You know, do you want the best player or you just want who's going to go smash? All right. The Oklahoma drill might be getting worked out of college football, but it is in the Cover 3 podcast universe alive and well. Uh, we'll also, in the in the coming weeks, potentially next week, also look at the coach draft, which last year brought out uh, so much fire and angst from our uh, former co-host, Barton Simmons. He was texting in all caps for about an hour. He couldn't believe some of our selections and analysis from the coach draft. So I look forward not only for delivering that for Barton, but also for all of you. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. See ya. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.